0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric pains me to say it, but England is out of the World Cup and I blame you. (laughs) Yep, they were uh, 2-1 down against France when England was awarded a penalty, which Harry Kane lined up to take. Uh, Kane already had two goals in the tournament. Phil Foden had one. That put you three fifths of the way uh, to, your, to your own goal, if you will, uh, having wagered <laughs> on them to score a combined five. Uh, right. And I made the mistake of thinking, as Kane stood there ready to uh, hit his penalty, when Kane scores this, Eric will be just one away and we'll have some good opening banter, I thought to myself. But instead he skied it over the bar and as a reminder you're not supposed to do that in soccer that's not three (laughs) points if you put it over the bar that's zero right and as a result france moved on to the final four and it's all your fault eric you (laughs) jinxed it
1: (laughs) no i I will not be blamed for some guy who's spent like 80 hours a week his entire life kicking a ball completely missing (laughs) the net i'm gonna say that's on him uh but but you know that's more than enough soccer talk especially when we have an important topic to be bantering about, uh-huh. um, last week right after we stopped recording, and uh, you know I'd, I'd ended the show with a final callback to singing your name to the Seven Nation Army tune, mm. we realized—and uh, and shame on us for not realizing it during last week's recording—but you know whatever, we're a little slow on the uptake sometimes. But we realized that while my name doesn't work so well for Seven Nation Army, it is a perfect fit for. There's only one Eric Raskin. Uh, by the way, shout out to our friend Rafe Bartholomew, who yep. uh, after listening to last week's show, texted me that very message in all caps. There's only <laughs> one Eric Raskin, one Eric Raskin. Now, of course, egotist that I am who regularly Google searches himself, I happen to know there's not only one Eric Raskin. Um, but, <laughs> but within the boxing world, I suppose there's only one Eric Raskin. And uh, next time I'm at a live fight attended by a few thousand Brits, I will thank them in advance to please sing that song. You know, provided they aren't pissed at me and blaming me for uh, their stupid soccer team losing.
0: Although, do I not vaguely remember uh, there was a fight at the garden one time
1: where there was a mix up of Eric Raskins or was there just well, a mix? Of Raskins? It was. It was a mix up of Raskins. There's an Alex Raskin to whom I am that. not related. Who I think he was like a stringer for the New York Times or maybe a staffer for the New York Times or something. So there was some sort of mix up with another Raskin, but no, there is only one Eric Raskin. There was a. Except we boxing. Right. Right. <laughs> there isn't even only one Kieran Mulvaney.
0: But within boxing, there but is. Within and particularly in that boxing one. polar bear crossover niche, there's definitely
1: only one. Uh, yes, I would say so. But, but we don't talk about there being only one of you because your name doesn't work perfectly for that. But your name right. does work perfectly for, oh, Kieran Mulvaney. It, it's still fun. It's still fun shocking for me. for me as it <laughs> shocking as it may be to believe
0: we actually have a lot to talk about on this week's <laughs> podcast yeah we actually do yeah we, we do we, we really better get cranking i guess um we will preview the final showtime boxing card of the year headlined by battle of unbeatens between michelle rivera and frank martin and as it's the final showtime boxing event of the year it is high stakes time in our very close podcast picks competition uh plenty of major news to discuss most notably the reveal of the 2023 international boxing hall of fame class and a farewell to hall of famer iconic referee mills lane also i will count down the top five chapter threes of all time and it's my turn to play contestant and Eric's turn to play game show host in another round of the fight game. Uh, but we start with this past Saturday's fights. And specifically, we start with Heisman Night at the Garden, where Teofimo Lopez very nearly got tackled for a loss. Huh? Like that? Huh? Mm-hmm. But uh, officially emerged for the win over Sandor Martin.
1: Uh, yeah, and it sounded there like you correctly pronounced it. Sandor Martine is—is is that? Did you go Martine? That because I've. I you... did
0: this time. Yes. we've been doing the Anglicized <laughs> version for so yes. long, but after the commentary last night, I thought we'd better change it up.
1: Yep, yep. Now, now we know it is Martine. Although it's going to be tough talking about Frank Martin later. We're going to have to yep. keep our Martins and Martines straight. But uh, <laughs> um, all right, so. I'm going to stop well short of calling this fight a robbery, uh, but it was certainly a controversial decision in a tougher fight than Lopez and many observers were expecting against an opponent who it was clear early in the fight was all wrong for him and is all wrong for a lot of people, frankly. Uh, I had Sandor Martin who scored a flash knockdown in the second round with a southpaw check right hook and arguably scored another with the same punch a few rounds later, but it was ruled a slip. I had him ahead 95-94 at the end of 10 rounds. That's exactly how Judge Guido Cavallari had it, but Max DeLuca scored for Lopez 96-93, and Pasquale Procopio raised some serious eyebrows with a 97-92 card for Teofimo. Words were exchanged afterward. Martin was certain he deserved to win. Lopez accused him of running, uh, but cameras caught Lopez after the fight asking his corner, do I still have it? Very telling moment. Uh, Kieran, Mm. give me your thoughts on the fight, and specifically... Does Teofimo Lopez still have it?
0: He still has the natural ability. He has the talent that brought him this far. He is still, I think, a very talented and, and confident individual. He's got all the ability in the world. What he's missing right now is a voice other than his daddy's. Yeah. Um, he needs a voice that is much more critical, that is much more prepared to tell him what he doesn't want to hear, who can make him do the work in training camp that he doesn't want to do. He had that person for a while, of course, in the form of Joey Gamash. but Team Lopez let him go before the Cambosis fight. They need him or someone like him to come back. I get the sense that Tiamo himself can be quite self-critical. and In fact, that comment that you mentioned yeah. shows this much, right? Um, he wants to improve. He wants to be as good as he can be. He just needs help getting there. I mean, any boxer does. Even Ali and Leonard needed Angelo Dundee, Hearns and Lewis needed Manny Stewart. Um, and we do also need to give props to Martin. Like you said, look, he's probably just a, a nightmare style for anybody. He might not be the most fan friendly style, but it gets the job done much of the time. And and maybe it deserves to to do so again here. Um, we have seen Lopez look less than stellar against Ranger opponents before. Like Masayoshi Nakatani, for example, right. he didn't look great against. But he still clearly won that fight. And also, to be fair to Lopez, up until a few weeks ago, he was training to fight Sniper Pedraza, who couldn't right. be a more different opponent. Um, he does also look like he might be a smidge undersized for £140. Pounds. And honestly, if he would have fight, say, Regis pro next, I don't, I don't think I'd pick him to win. Um, once upon a time, I would have done. Um, But notwithstanding his talent, I think he's stagnant right now and possibly in danger of going backward. And the problem is Teofimo Sr. being in charge, I think. And if you've ever met Teofimo Sr., that's entirely (laughs) predictable. Um, Teofimo Jr. needs that outside guidance if he's to get back on the kind of path, you know, that his ability suggests suggests he should be on. And Look, even Progre was moved to tweet afterwards, I hope Tio is okay. Boxing is a tough and lonely sport, and it can be very taxing mentally. I think he might need some changes in his personal life, and I and I mm-hmm. believe I've heard that there are some other issues going on in his personal life. It's a bit of a crossroads situation here for Tiafimo Lopez, and he sort of really needs to take a charge of the whole situation and get someone else in there, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, something's got to change. I, I'm getting concerned that he is making his way onto that list that I like to bust out from time to time, along with Zab Judah and Adrian Broner mm-hmm. of extremely athletically talented boxers whose gifts and, and basic skills got them very, very far, but then they plateaued, they stopped learning, they stopped progressing and they never made adjustments and went up that final level. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying for a fact, that's going to be Teofimo. It's, it's too soon to say, but strong hints have been dropped at least. Um, in, in this fight specifically, kind of a microcosm of, of his failure to adjust and learn, he got caught with that check hook and knockdown and just kept doing the same thing with mm. his left hand held low until he got caught again with the exact same shot and, and was lucky, in my opinion, that the ref didn't call another knockdown. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I said it already. You said it. Sandor Martin, he's really clever. He's well-schooled. He's determined. He's determined. I think people have been selling him short. Um, so we, we got to say that in Teofimo's defense yeah. that he was up yeah. against a really good spoiler. I, yeah. Sandor Martin. It, did I say it Martin earlier? I feel like you I did. did. Um, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back and forth until I hammer it into my brain. But uh, Sandor Martin, uh, he he's boxing's ultimate matador. Uh, and not just because yep. he's Spanish. It, it, that's the way he fights. And, you know, it's perfect for frustrating a guy like Lopez after round nine, Lopez was frustrated to the point of almost checking out mentally between rounds. He wouldn't sit on the stool. He seemed like all he wanted in the world at that moment was for the fight to be over with. Mm. Um, now, despite that, there's a perfectly reasonable case that he won uh, not eight rounds to two, but, you know, six to four, a one-point win. I have no issue whatsoever with that. His talent is such that, combined with Martine often failing to throw enough punches to win rounds— he can win even when he performs nowhere near his best. Um, you know, he said afterward that they gave him an uncooperative dance partner, and he's not wrong. Uh, this, As you said, this was an unfortunate change for Lopez from Spider-Pedraza to this guy. But if you're a pound-for-pound worthy fighter, you figure out a way to get the job done against a Sandor Martín without needing any assistance from the judges. So, and, and uh, just you mentioning uh, Regis Progre and the idea of that fight, one person who certainly doesn't think uh, Teofimo Lopez should fight Regis Progre next is Sandor Martin. He said afterwards <laughs> Regis Progre would would mop up the ring with this guy. One other thing that I, that I want to note uh, is uh, I gotta got to do a quick vent on the reading of the scorecards. Can the ring announcers please ignore these fringe oh, yes. international yes. regional BS titles that yes. not a single person in the audience has a clue who's defending this belt and who's challenging for this belt. The The ring announcer read the third card, and instead of just saying, for the winner, the takeover, yep. Teofimo Lopez, he did, and still belt X, and now belt Y, I guess there was some vacant... Belt at stake, too. uh And everyone in the ring was completely confused and had no idea who and still right. referred to. You know, minor point in the grand scheme, but the, this was a 10 rounder. I think the, the belts were yep. pretty irrelevant here. And uh yeah, the alphabets just keep finding their little ways to make the sport of boxing harder to watch.
0: Yeah, you can see Lopez be, be about to raise his right hand and he's like, wait, am I that champion?
1: <laughs> right. I'm not and, sure. And yeah. Martin too, uh, Martin, Martin. Uh, one of these days I'll figure it out. Uh Martin too. His his face was like, I think I'm about to get screwed here. Wait a <laughs> minute, am I about to get screwed here? I don't know. And that by the time he actually heard Lopez's name, he he'd already like he'd already been on and off an emotional roller coaster it seemed and barely even reacted and just kind of like made a, you know, flipped his hand forward in disgust and that was that.
0: Yeah, uh there was no such controversy on the ESPN televised undercard, uh, but one of the bouts was at least competitive, with junior middleweight prospect Xander Zayas having to work to outpoint Alexis Salazar over eight rounds. Undefeated lightweight Kishan Davis had an easier time in shutting out veteran Juan Carlos Burgos over eight. But the fighter people are continuing to buzz about is heavyweight prospect Jared Big Baby Anderson, who absorbed several good southpaw left hands in the opening round, and responded by taking the fight to Jerry Forrest and stopping him in round two, becoming only the second man to beat forest inside the distance
1: eric how impressed were you with anderson and any quick thoughts on the other top ranked prospects who won their bouts? yeah jared anderson is everything you want in a heavyweight prospect um doesn't mean he won't totally flame out of course but uh, for a 23 year old american heavyweight with 13 pro fights you can't ask for more than what he's done so far and and what he did against Forrest. his defense needs some work but I will say the sharp, crafty southpaw counter left hand is not a punch he's going to have to worry about all that often. But you know, he he got tagged. He seems to have at least a half decent chin because he wasn't buzzed at all, and he responded by getting aggressive, unloading. He threw 114 punches in the first round and wasn't totally spent. Uh, this fight was was nonstop entertainment for the four minutes or so that it lasted, and Anderson if casual fans stuck around after the Heisman and stayed up through the first two fights, he should have made some new fans with this. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how many casuals are, are keeping the TV on through two kind of home right. um, eight round distance fights to make it to Jared Anderson. In retrospect, if this was yeah. WWE and you knew exactly how each fight was going to turn out, you would have yeah. let off the broadcast with this. Um, not a ton to say about the other two fights. Uh, potentially, a very helpful learning experience for Xander Zayas. He, he didn't look great, but he looked good enough. And Keyshawn Davis did look very good, although Burgos doesn't have much left to offer at this point. The commentators went overboard. Um, yeah, they, they tend to do that. Everyone is the best this or, or the most that, you know, in, in the sport. One of them declared Keyshawn Davis a future pound for pound number one, which is just such silly hyperbole. But <laughs> he does have a lot of talent and skill, and, and he's the kind of fighter who probably won't even lose a round against anyone until he steps up to the contender.
0: Yeah.
1: Level. Um, speaking of pound for pound talent, the best fighter in action Saturday was not at Madison square garden. He was in Omaha, Nebraska headlining a small pay-per-view event that, presumably not a ton of fight fans saw including the two of us uh full transparency <laughs> there was lots of other boxing to watch and not a lot of time to watch it and be able to get this podcast recorded on sunday and live my non-boxing life <laughs> so i just watched highlights sunday morning and i know you did the same kieran of terence crawford's sixth round knockout win over david avanisian And when I say knockout, I mean knockout. A perfect southpaw right hook that Avanissian never saw. Got to be a knockout of the year contender. Um, Having only seen highlights like me, Kieran, any thoughts on what you saw here and what this does for Crawford's career, if anything? (sighs)
0: What does it do for Crawford's career? In isolation, nothing. I mean, this it's just straight out of the Terence Crawford playbook. Uh, take a couple rounds to figure out your opponent. Even if that means he gets to land some decent shots on you in the process, then start experimenting with the best way to respond. And then once you get dialed in, go for the kill. Um, full credit to Avanisian for giving it everything he had, yep. for not being in any way intimidated by the setting or the opponent, uh, for trying to take the fight to a superior foe and for pressing the action. But from what I could tell, it didn't take very long before Crawford's ring IQ and superior shot selection kicked into gear. So from what I saw, it was a Terence Crawford fight. Um, We've seen it (laughs) before against different opponents. It neither particularly adds to nor detracts from the legacy that he's building. Um, It only goes to underline that the only person who is going to give him a real test is Errol Spence. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the longer it takes for that to happen the more likely that Crawford's going to put himself at a disadvantage because of his age and because he hasn't been sufficiently tested over the years. Um, Crawford has real dog in him. He'll dig deep when he needs to. But right now, he's so obviously superior to everyone else at 147, not named Errol Spence. It's difficult to see what else is out there for him.
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I, I agree with you that, you know, Avenician deserves credit for coming to fight and trying his hardest. Uh, but yeah, this this was ultimately the mismatch that it appeared to be. I guess it went as well as it could possibly go for Crawford once you accept the fact that he's bothering with this fight. Um, mm. You know, it gave us a knockout that got some replay action and has a yeah. chance to be named knockout of the year. The crowd in Omaha popped. so So it all looked good. You just need to ignore the pay-per-view numbers, probably, and the money that the promoter presumably lost on this. Um, but, you know, if the big-picture goal, once you were resigned to this fight happening, was to not in any way diminish the drumbeat for a right. Spence fight, then mission accomplished there. Um, you know, I, I want to see that fight just as much now as I did a day ago, so that that's good. But, uh, yeah, certainly the the sooner it happens for Crawford, the, the-, the better at-, at-, at his age, and and for all of us, hopefully. Uh, Fingers crossed. Hopefully we're going to get that next year, but who the hell knows at this point.
0: Um, yeah.
1: One fight on the undercard worth a mention, uh, just because I haven't bragged about a winning boxing bet in a little while. Uh, I was looking at the boxing odds last week and was a little surprised to see Arnold Hagai, a plus 105 underdog at some sports books, yeah. against Eduardo Baez. When I first heard about this matchup, I thought of Hagai as the A-side and the favorite. I was expecting him to be like minus 200 or something in that range. So I jumped on that bet. I wagered a couple of pizzas because uh, this really struck me as a positive expected value bet where I was convinced the odds makers were a little off. Now, admittedly, I wasn't right by much. Uh, Hagai won a split decision in this fight. Uh, so maybe maybe the odds makers were pretty darn close and it was pretty damned uh, close to an even fight. But still, a win is a win. So uh, thank you, Arnold Hagai. Now my kids will get Hanukkah presents. <laughs> um earlier in the day saturday a couple of fights on the other side of the atlantic worth commenting on uh, one very competitive the other not so much uh luis alberto lopez scored a minor upset over josh warrington in leeds england for a featherweight belt winning 115 113 on two cards while the third judge had the fight even at 114 114 and in belfast mick conlon made quick work of kareem garfi dropping and stopping him in the final minute of the first round kieran your takeaways from these two bouts so I don't think we learned a great deal
0: about where Conlan is from this right. win. Not only is it not the first time Guehrfee's been stopped, he was stopped in the first round just over a year ago, but that's okay. Um after the Leeward experience Conlon needed a couple fights to get back into the groove, regain his confidence. Um and probably the next step now is he needs to be taken deep again and to come through that with a win to show to himself honestly more than anybody else that he can do that. Um as for Lopez Warrington, Warrington closed very strongly. Showed his grit and experience down the stretch. But it wasn't enough to make up the difference. Lopez was all over him early. His punches were sharper and faster. His combinations more on point. Warrington started his career 30-0. He's 1-2-1 in his last four. And his win against Kiko Martinez cost him a broken jaw. Uh, He's 32 now and the sand may well be running out of his hourglass. Um, in the co-main there, by the way, Ebony Bridges stopped uh, Shannon O'Connell in the eighth after dropping her in the third. And whenever one thinks about, of Bridges' stick, uh, she can certainly fight. Mm. Um, one other fight worth noting, though like Crawford Avanissian, it wasn't making its way into either of our weekend viewing plans. Manny Pacquiao had an exhibition in South Korea against DKU, described as, quote, a YouTube martial artist. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. And Pacquiao drops the much bigger U in rounds four and six and won a six round unanimous decision just days before his 44th birthday. Um, we have two news main events this week one celebratory, one the other sad. And we'll lead with the celebratory. We just mentioned future Hall of Famer Manny Pacquiao, and the 2023 class of International Boxing Hall of Fame inductees has been announced. And in the modern category, Eric and I got our wish. The three fighters we singled out a few weeks ago, the three we each voted for and felt were the most deserving, are the three who have been elected. Welterweight and junior welterweight belt holder Tim Bradley, super middleweight titleist Carl Frotch, and bantamweight and junior featherweight title holder Rafael Marquez. How about that? In the modern women's category, Laura Serrano and Alicia Ashley will be inducted. Uh, For non-participants, our friend Joe Goosen made it in his first shot on the ballot. And he's joined by two Brads, executive Brad Jacobs and matchmaker Brad Goodman, former HBO boxing head Seth Abram and longtime broadcaster Tim Ryan are going in as observers. And lastly, Tiger Jack Fox and I'm going to make see if I get this right. King Kingpetch. Do you think I got that right? Your guess is made as good as the, mine. They made it in the old timers category. And Joanne Hagen goes in as a women's trailblazer. Eric. Would you like to take a victory lap on behalf of our boy rafa marquez and any other thoughts on the other new hall of famers
1: yeah rafa is obviously the headline for me because i wasn't confident he'd get in this year but i considered him the number one most deserving fighter on the ballot and i haven't looked ahead to who becomes eligible next year or the year after that but it was possible this was going to be his best opportunity for a while so i'm thrilled he got the votes i'm very happy for bradley and Frotch as well Although, as we said, their inductions were expected more or less this mm-hmm. year. So so for them, it's a happy that doesn't contain any relieved. So it's a different kind of happy for them. Um, and now that Rafael Marquez is going in, I'll back down on my opposition to Iron Boy going in. <laughs> now, go. I mean, I still don't quite consider him all a famer. I don't anticipate that I'm going to vote for him, but... I won't make a stink if and when his time comes the way I would have if he'd gotten in this year. Right. Um, as for the modern women, I'm not going to keep banging the same drum about too many inductees. Not, not right now, anyway. I'm torn here. I don't want to rain on the parade of anyone who's going into the Hall right. of Fame. So I, I'm just going to leave it alone other than saying the selections caught me a little by surprise. Um, other than Rafael Marquez, the person I'm next happiest for is Joe Goosen. We we love Joe. He is 100% deserving and he's my number one motivation for wanting Showtime to send us to Canistota yep. next June. Just to just to interview Joe, hang out with him. I might even go full uh, New Jersey tuxedo or Canadian tuxedo depending <laughs> on what you prefer to call it. denim on denim if we're interviewing him. Um I'm also thrilled for Tim Ryan for whom I voted and yep. Seth Abraham for whom I voted. I've said before, I was hoping Seth and Jay Larkin might be part of the same class a couple of years ago. That would have been cool, but uh, this is just fine. If there's a minor surprise for me among the non-participants, it's Brad Goodman, and not because he's unworthy in any way, but just because he's still relatively young. Uh, I don't know his exact age, but I guess 50-ish, early 50s, something like that. that, I was figuring I'd vote for him eventually, but I was in no rush yet. Uh, But certainly, congrats to him and all the rest, especially the great Rafael Marquez. Your thoughts, Kieran? Yeah, nothing really to add
0: either on the modern fighters or on Rafa. I had the same thought, and and we've expressed it before that this really needed to be his year. Because, like you, I haven't looked ahead to coming years, but it felt that if he wasn't going to get in this year, it was always going to be a tough, tough ask for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm completely with you with the female class, Um, Seth and Tim, excellent, fully deserved choices. Joe too. Um, Folks might not know much about Brad Jacobs if you if you're not around boxing a lot. You might you've probably never seen or heard of or encountered brad jacobs um wanted to just give him a little bit props uh if you enjoyed usa tuesday night fights back in the day brad was really the man behind all of that then he ran roy jones's square ring promotions for a while and now for at least the last 10 years maybe it's 15 he's been the man who really makes the top rank events happen he's the guy he's the coo now at top rank so all these great top rank events the way that, that they all actually physically come together, the logistics and everything, that's all down to Brad. So he's played a, a really important role in a lot of big fights over the years. And uh, I'm with you with Goodman in that little surprise that it was this early. But at the same time, he's also a super accessible guy. He's always hanging out in the media room uh, at big fights. He'll chat to journalists. He's a popular guy. So I'm not super surprised. I want to, as well as his top ranked fights, I want to acknowledge that he was the matchmaker for uh this great club show series in las vegas for a while at the orleans um Mm -hmm. and i say it was one of the best best club show series everybody in las vegas was part of the vegas fight community would come out every week and it was really a starting point for quite a lot of boxers including my buddy EJ smith so um congratulations to everybody while there are still some other people who i'm still going to beat beating the drum for right this was a good class and uh yeah let's hopefully we see them all in canistota next year
1: that would be nice um so the other major news this week is the death of a hall of famer uh 2013 inductee mills lane who died tuesday at age 85 lane learned to box in the marines uh almost made the olympics in 1960 and had a decent little pro career going 10 and one but it was as a referee that he gained acclaim and eventually mainstream fame The former because he was one of Nevada's top officials throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the latter because of his involvement in some of the weirdest fights in history, most notably the bite fight, in which he wanted to disqualify Mike Tyson the first time he bit Evander Holyfield's ear, carefully considered his options and decided to let the fight continue then DQ'd Tyson when he bit a second time. Mills retired from refereeing soon after that, but the bite fight made him famous enough to get his own court show as a TV judge and become the claymation face of MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. But in 2002, Lane suffered a debilitating stroke. And I have to play this clip from Mills' interview with Showtime's Jim Gray following the bite fight. Obviously, disappointment. Mills got to be disappointing for you for, to have it come to a conclusion like this as well. Hey,
0: you know, you, do, you play the hand
1: you dealt and do the best you can with a card. That's all I can tell you. Mills got dealt one of the worst possible hands with that stroke, but I'm sure he persevered the best he could as he hung on out of the spotlight with his family caring for him. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on the life and legacy of Millsley?
0: I mean, can you think of any... Referee or official, not just in boxing, but any sport who became instantly recognizable, not just to people who watch that sport a lot or to casual viewers of the sport, but everyone, Um, you know, while the bike fight was the fight that really made him famous, I don't think it necessarily follows that it would have happened with any referee. Right. I think, you know, it was the fact that he was this small guy who exuded fairness and toughness who could stare down a Mike Tyson on the rampage without any hint of fear and trepidation. And and let's not forget, he actually wasn't scheduled to be the bike fight ref. It was going to be Mitch Halpern, who'd ref the first fight, but Halpern stepped down in the face of opposition from Team Tyson. And Mitch, rest his soul, I don't think would have burst into the limelight in the same way. Uh, I think a lot of it was his whole no-nonsense demeanor, the fact that fighters trusted him to be strong, and reasonable the fact he seemed to be and indeed was utterly non-corruptible you got the sense also that even at the height of his fame he really couldn't have cared less about any of it that if it had all gone away he wouldn't have been even slightly bothered he was exactly what boxing needs and is, and is always needed in a sport and a business that's riddled with incompetence and corruption Mills was the opposite of incompetence and corruption if you were a fighter a manager a promoter or a fan you knew that if Mills Lane was your referee there's no guarantee the fight would turn out your way but you knew you were going to be treated fairly and you knew that Mills was going to be decisive and clear and competent and if he did make a mistake which everyone does at some point he'd own it that's what we want in boxing and that's why people warmed to him and respected him and why he's been missed over the last 20 years and he'll be missed even more now
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and on top of all that, he could be a good quote. Uh, As we know, if uh, anyone who follows Nigel Collins on Twitter, I have to read this tweet. Uh, Nigel tweeted when uh, when Mills uh, died, although I've interviewed Mills Lane and watched him referee many fights, what I recall best was what he said to me when I wished him luck before a fight he was working. Quote, I'll be okay as long as I don't trip over my dick i mean <laughs> come on that's just a great line um i have uh, just one personal interaction of sorts with mills lane uh it's not much uh, but it's worth sharing i think i never met him um but i did watch his judge mills lane show and review it for one of the magazines and a week or so after the issue came out i got a personal note sent to the ring office on the mills lane let's get it on stationary uh thanking me for the review it was typewritten, not handwritten, but it was hand signed. Uh, and uh, and and you remember that. You know, that that sort of yep. thing, an unsolicited thank you is very rare in our business and gives you just the slightest of peeks into how Mills Lane operated.
0: That's very cool. Yep. I didn't know that. That's Still great. have
1: it. Yeah.
0: Wow, awesome. Um all right, there's not a deep news undercard, just a few things. Uh, most of it pertaining to fight announcements. Uh, January 7th, the Javonte Tank Davis Hector Garcia Showtime pay per view in Washington, D.C. All three televised undercard bouts have now been announced Boots ns versus Karen Chukatsian, Rashidi Ellis versus Royman via and Demetris Andrade versus Demond Nicholson. Uh, three weeks later, on January 28th, Jamel Charlo versus Tim Zoo is now official, headlining a Showtime card at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Oscar Valdez versus Emmanuel Navarrete has a date. It's February 3rd in Glendale, Arizona on ESPN, and in the co feature. Jose Sniper Pedraza meets Arnold Barboza Jr. over 10 rounds. There's a BLK Prime event scheduled for February 18th in Atlanta, headlined by Adrian Branagh versus Ivan Redcatch, with the rescheduled Tevin Farmer-Mickey Bay fight as the co-feature. Although, given Branagh's history and the punch he displayed at the announcement press conference, I think I'm going to set the odds, Eric, of the fight actually happening at plus 240 okay so the, yeah. all right we'll, we'll see and uh, lastly not a fight announcement uh rather errol spence jr was involved in another car accident this one though was apparently not his fault he posted a video on instagram afterwards showing the smashed up car and saying he was hit by a car being driven by a 14 year old who took his parents car but spence came out of it unharmed fortunately eric what stands out to you
1: well spence has uh, pretty good luck with these car accidents <sighs> the, the car's in the video he posted, they looked in pretty rough shape. So I'm, I'm very glad he's okay. Not much else to say about that. Uh, on to the fights. January 7th is a, a few weeks away. So I have time to plot a strategy for how to approach the Andrade fight when I've been on record in the past complaining about him facing non-threatening opponents on other networks. Now it's Showtime. So um, I'll come up with something. I, I just need a few weeks. Um, on the hooray Showtime side of things, I love Charlo versus Zoo. I find it a highly compelling fight. And uh, this announcement actually reminds me that I kind of miss Mandalay Bay. Uh, of all yeah. the Vegas strip casinos to get stuck in for like four days and never step outside, I think Mandalay Bay might have been my favorite. Um, I, I just did the the way it looks and feels in there more than yeah, the others I've stayed at. Um, as for valdez Navarrete, we discussed the matchup when it was first in the works, Love that fight. Um, This is a really strong start to 2023. Like one of the best first five weeks of a boxing year on paper that I can remember. Um, And and I'll comment quickly on the co-feature because that's entirely new to us. Uh, Pedraza, he, of course, was supposed to fight Teofimo Lopez this past Saturday until he got sick. At the time that they selected Pedraza... Barboza was another option under consideration. So these are two guys who, to varying degrees, almost fought Teofimo Lopez this weekend. I think it's a near even money matchup. I'm not sure who I favor yet. So really strong doubleheader there. Um, You know, I I don't want to look past what remains of 2022, which we'll be talking about Mm -hmm. in a few minutes, uh, but I'm really looking forward to the start of 2023. Adrian Broner fights aside, of course. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, and with that, it's time for another round of the podcast segment that is sweeping the nation, The right. Fight Game. Uh, this week, I'll be giving the clues and you'll be doing the guessing, Kieran. Are you ready? I most certainly am, sir. Would you like to rub your hands together to indicate that you are ready? I, I, oh, yes, I do <laughs> do that, don't I? That's right, you caught me doing that. No, no, you caught me doing it once. Ah, that's what it was. Was. Yeah, yeah, so, good. all right. But I heard it, so it's good. That means we're ready. Here we go. Clue number one. I'm starting super vague. This, this will narrow it down to about a thousand possible fights. This was a fight between two Hall of Famers and a title changed hands. If you happen to guess it, I, I'll retire from podcasting, I guess. I don't know. But uh, throw a guess out there. Two Hall of Famers, a title changed hands. I can't remember if a title was at stake, but Manny Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez four. A fine guess, an incorrect guess. I told you a pretty vague first clue, but we're we're gonna make a big leap here with the second clue. Okay, all right. The fight has its own famous nickname. Okay.
0: Um. Hmm, so it's not the it's not something really obvious like the Rumble in the Jungle, is it?
1: Well, is that your guess? Is it the Rumble in the Jungle? <laughs> it is not. Okay. That, that would have been a little too obvious, perhaps. Okay. All right. Do you do you want to keep, like, no, 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 thinking no, it through at all funny. or just get to the next clue? We'll no, okay. get to the next one. Okay. Next okay. All right. So here's what we have so far. Two Hall of Famers, a title change hands. The fight has its own famous nickname. Clue three. I think this clue is going to give it away. I think you're going to equal my guess it in three score from last time. Right. I'm, I'm just trying to put the pressure on you here. But yeah, here we go. Clue so three. Too. This fight has been depicted in a movie. A movie, movie,
0: a, the- a theatrical
1: movie. Yes, a theatrical stuff. movie. The fight was uh, recreated, depicted in a film. It has its own famous nickname. Two hall of famers. A title changed hands. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, I love being a game show host. It's really with my next life. That's what I'm going to pursue. Uh,
0: okay, okay, Alex. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um... So, oh, it's the Valentine's Day
1: Massacre. Yes, you've got it. Nice. So, yes, the uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Sugar Ray Robinson, Jake LaMotta, six. I figured if you thought long enough, the combination of famous nickname and depicted in a movie that you'd get yep. there. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. the my fourth clue was going to be a straightforward one just telling you the major factual details that the fight took place in 1951 at Chicago Stadium and then if you still somehow didn't get it I was going to say that it was the sixth and final fight in a famous series.
0: Right. And if you transpose the first and last names of the winner it would be Ray Robinson. Wait. The first the first letters of the first and last names. Oh. Not, I, <laughs> I, I screwed it up. I, I screwed it up. Right, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that, that, that would the be bonus a good, sixth one.
1: Yes, the bonus sixth clue for the person who uh is absolutely incapable of uh, intelligent thought. We would we would yep. have gone with that one just to be clear. <laughs> but uh but uh yep, so so you did uh we are, we are now uh we have equaled each other and the second round of this we each got it on clue number 3.
0: Yeah, you're right. That combo of the the second and third one was cuz there aren't that many boxing movies that have actually depicted actual fights. So right.
1: Were there were there any others passing through your brain before you came up with Raging Bull? Were there other movies you were like, hmm, wait, was there a fight in that movie, or or you were just drawing a blank until you thought of Raging Bull? Um, I think so because you know my thought then went to Ali, and then of course I'm like, oh, it's the Rumble in the Jungle. No way. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I guess the Thriller in Manila. No, uh, the title did not change hands. So, right. Uh, right. Yeah. All right. right. Good stuff. It remains. Uh sensation in the boxing podcast world this game i'm assuming and beyond (laughs) really i don't think we've crossed over at all come on i i don't know if we ever are going to cross over it will be on the strength of the fight game probably yes or something (sighs) Right. Or a horrible, horrible mistake one of us makes on air, most <laughs> likely. Like me saying Sandor Martin instead of Martine one more time. <laughs> uh, Alright, time for our final major fight preview of the year, the final Showtime fight card of the year, and thus the card that will determine who wins our 2022 Picks competition, which I lead 75-73 with just this triple header to go. That's the main reason people will be tuning in, to find out who wins Raskin versus Mulvaney. Mm. Uh, but you know, this fight card at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Saturday ain't half bad, uh, especially the main event, which matches two undefeated lightweights, Michelle Rivera of the Dominican Republic, 24 years old, 24 0, 14 knockouts, against Southpaw Frank the Ghost Martin from Fort Wayne, Indiana, via Detroit, 16 0, with 12 KOs, the slightly older man here at 27. This is the third fight of the year for both. Uh, Rivera just fought two months ago, uh, and he last fought on Showtime in March when he convincingly outpointed Joseph Adorno. Martin's last fight was in July on Showtime when he stopped Jackson marinez in round 10. They have one common opponent, Jerry Perez, who was the fighter Rivera faced just two months ago. That was an eight-round shutout win for Rivera, whereas in April 2021, Martin stopped Perez in seven. Uh, and we got some quotes from Perez comparing them, and... He said pretty much the same thing Al Bernstein said last week on the pod. Rivera is likely to be the boxer, Martin the puncher. Is that how you see it, Kieran, a fairly classic boxer versus puncher matchup? Or or does that oversimplify these two? And also, here's maybe a strange question for you. But does either of these guys strike you as having more star potential than the other?
0: So I don't think it's an oversimplification to put it in those terms as a boxer versus a puncher, although I suspect that Rivera may say may see himself as rather more than merely a boxer. Um, in fact, the first I think it was the first time we saw him on Showtime um, was against John Fernandez. Was that the first time we saw him on Showtime or the second? Yeah, I can't it, remember if it was. The I first feel like it was the second. first time we talked about him. Maybe um, so. And in that fight, he had to rally from a knockdown and he stopped Fernandez in the seventh round. And in this fight prior to that on Fox, he scored a couple of knockdowns on route to a stoppage win. But since then, it has been all decision wins and pretty wide ones at that. By and large, he's, he's got excellent footwork, very good boxing skills and defense. He has pop. But yeah, I would say he's primarily a boxer. Martin, not Martine, um yep. He's an all out hunter. Uh, he comes in. knees bent, looking to maximize his leverage. Jabbing his way in and looking for an opportunity to land his southpaw left uh, in close. There's no mistake about his intentions. And nine times out of 10, or actually more accurately, 12 times out of 16, he gets what he's looking for, which is a knockout. Um, the question of who's got the greatest star potential is actually quite an interesting one. Look, Rivera's a good looking dude who thinks he looks like Muhammad Ali. I think he looks more like Julian Jackson. <laughs> right. And you, Tito, was it Tito? You. It perhaps? was a comb- It was Tito with Julian Jackson's box haircut. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um He's clearly an outgoing and gregarious personality. His English is far from great, but he's trying really hard to learn it. Um, If it all comes together for him, he could indeed be a star. He's got he's got lots of elements. Um, But to get back to that earlier point, he looks like as he goes up uh, through the ranks, he might be missing what a lot of boxing stars have. And that's clear, pure knockout power, which is what Martin seems to have. Rivera might have the smile and the personality, but Martin is a man of highlight reels. And ultimately, when it comes to making your name in boxing and particularly impressing fans early on, that's what does the trick. So what's at stake here? Does the winner insert his name among the four princes? Is he in the mix to face the Tank Garcia winner a year or so from now? And since it's your turn to pick first in our competition after you answer that question, make
1: your pick, please, sir. So I think if it's a spectacular, emphatic dominant win uh, or maybe a close win in a fight of the year type right. spectacular fight, then, yeah, the, the winner enters the princely realm. Uh, maybe not on the level quite of the princes, but at least as someone worthy of standing in their presence, whoever wins, if it's clear cut whoever wins is likely to enter the TBRB lightweight top 10, uh, maybe as high as number seven or so, if the winner looks great. There's, of course, a a ton of talent in this division. So I think what's at stake is is not necessarily a straight-up spot as the guy in line to face the Tank Garcia winner, but a spot somewhere in that conversation with status somewhere alongside the likes of William Zepeda or Isak Cruz. Um, And then, while Tank Davis is fighting various garcias uh (laughs) if the winner keeps winning against good competition then yeah i'd say uh, win this fight win one or two more good ones then he's in the mix for the biggest fights so yeah you know win and you take a significant step forward but not the ultimate step lose and this is where it gets tricky because as al bernstein was saying last week it's really important not to punish the loser but you know sorry, the loser does have to take a little step back in a division with this many quality fighters. Again, it all depends how. You know, if if one of these guys comes out and does like a young Mayweather versus Corrales and it's just, oh my God, this guy is special, then, you know, add him to the princes. And uh, if this fight is like, say, Fulton Figueroa, which was really, Mm -hmm. really close, and the loser has a case that he won, then the loser's stock doesn't drop. So I, I guess I'd sum up and say, in terms of what's at stake, this is a lame answer, but, you know, it's a step forward versus a step back. And I have no freaking clue how big either step will be until we see exactly how it plays out. Um, so time to make my pick. Um, these guys both have excellent jabs, and I'm feeling like it can be a cliche, but, you know, whoever wins the battle of the jabs probably wins the fight. I really think the talent is comparable. Rivera does seem a little slicker, a half notch higher in terms of boxing skill, Martin is definitely more aggressive and seems to have slightly heavier hands. I love Martin's body punching. That could prove Mm -hmm. the difference. And Rivera, you know, he doesn't always press his foot down on the gas. Martin seems Mm -hmm. a little more focused, a little more consistent. So I see a close fight back and forth, both having moments and winning rounds. But I think Martin breaks through and scores a knockdown or two in the second half of the fight. And that makes the difference as he takes a close unanimous decision uh now uh you're going second on two of the yep. three picks and you trail by two so so somewhere here you do need to make not the exact same pick yep. as me so uh, who are you picking in this one <laughs> so it, it's a, it is an
0: intriguing pick and i've been having a hard time with it um i like rivera i've enjoyed watching him progress on showtime uh that fernandez fight might have set expectations a little high made it appear that he's something he probably isn't um, He is a good boxer, there's no question, but I have to sort of follow on from your point about, you know, not always stepping on the gas. The last couple of fights, I felt a little bit less excited about him at the end of the fight than I was in, say, round three or four of his fight. Um, does he have that extra something to elevate himself from the very good to the potentially even better? I don't know. Martin just might, though. Um, he isn't, of course, anything as like as slick as Rivera. He can be hit, I think, a bit more easily. But his use of the ring space, or very different from Rivera, is just as interesting. Rivera looks to maximize his space, and Martin looks, seeks to minimize his opponent's space. I know which one I generally prefer watching. The question is which is more likely to prevail. Um... And I've got two approaches to this answer. One is the answer that I came up with thinking that you were going to go with a different direction, (laughs) which is the answer that I genuinely believe. And then there's the one that actually makes sense for me to go with for our picks competition. (laughs) Ah, game theory. I love it. Exactly. So I could argue either case. I will say this. I had thought, that you were probably going to pick Rivera. And I was going to feel reasonably comfortable saying that it's going to be a very, very close finish, um, a close fight. It's going to be a decision fight. And I thought that Martin was going to win a very close, unanimous decision. (laughs) But I've had an epiphany. (laughs) Yes, have you? Over the last couple of minutes. And I think suddenly Martin might have a little bit of a hard time cutting the ring off uh, as as effectively as he would like to. And Rivera is able, despite some shaky moments, to just keep him at bay. And Rivera winds up with a close but
1: unanimous decision win. (laughs) I love hearing you make a pick that you don't have any true belief in. It's wonderful. (laughs) It delights me. But it
0: is. I mean, I could in all seriousness, I could step back and actually make that case because I think it's a very, very
1: close, very even, exciting fight. Right. All right. Uh, the super middleweight co-feature is pretty much the definition of a crossroads fight, except it's the rare crossroads fight between two boxers who are the exact same age. 31. Uh, Russia's Vladimir Shishkin is on the way up at 13 and 0 with eight knockouts, whereas Jose Uzcateki's best days may be behind him at 32 and 4 with 27 KOs. You said when this fight was announced, Kieran, that it's a much better matchup for fans than Uzcateki versus David Benavides, which nearly happened, would have been. Uh, expound on that a bit. What, what do you like about the matchup? And then let me know your pick. So
0: since his peak moment, beating Andre Durrell in March 2018, so a little under five years ago, Uzcateki's fought seven times, during which time he's gone five and two. He's beaten Felipe Romero, who was 21-19-1, Jaime Lopez, who was nine and four. Josue Obando, who was 20, 28, and 2, Roberto Valdez, who was 10, 9 and 1, and Ezekiel Moderna, who we probably haven't heard of, but at least had a decent looking record at 26 and 4. And when he first had a chance to fight Benavides, he popped for EPO. That shouldn't get you a shot against the man who's probably the most dangerous guy, or arguably the most dangerous guy in the super middleweight division right now. It simply shouldn't. That's not the kind of resume that qualifies you to get that kind of fight. Um Shiskin, in contrast, has been quietly moving through the gears, moving up the ranks and doing what a boxer should do to put himself in position for a world title. Interestingly, though, he also hasn't quite reached the high that he reached four years ago when he beat Najib Mohammadi. He's looked good. He's looked solid and strong, but he hasn't quite made us sit up and think, oh, yeah, this guy is the goods. Hasn't really separated himself from the other folks from Eastern Europe and Central Asia and Ukraine and Russia, who, like Shiskin, have had successful amateur careers and t- turn pro late um what's interesting about this matchup from a stylistic point of view is that Shiskin isn't really a knockout puncher he kind of builds up speed and fights and wears his opponents down um Eskadegi's much more of a straight-up banger he, he goes to war and he either gets a ko or he loses generally speaking in close to a decade he has only one decision win um, I think Skadagy's time is gone but that his punching power will keep him in this fight. He might even rattle Shishkin a few times, but I think Shishkin will keep it together, will remain technically solid, will keep grinding his way to a decision win. Um, Oskadegi will win the three or four rounds in which he hits Shishkin clean. Shishkin wins the West. Unanimous decision win for Shishkin.
1: Okay. Um, So I'm a little concerned about Shishkin's inactivity of late. Um, You know, just one fight in the last 21 months against a guy who'd lost five in a row coming in. But... Based on what we were seeing against pretty decent opposition prior to that, that's really my only concern. Uh, um, I I have a hard time seeing him losing to Huz who I, like you, I believe is a few years past his peak. You know, losing to Plant over the distance, no big deal. But losing to Lionel Thompson, that's not yeah. something that happens if you're still a world-class fighter. And and you ran through the records of the guys who's Katagy's been beating recently. So even though it's Shishkin who's taking the step up and facing by far his most accomplished opponent, in the moment, based on what they've done the last handful of years, it's kind of it was Kattagi who's stepping up. Um, so I don't have a hard time at all picking a winner here. Um, it's not a mismatch by any means, but it is a fight to me with a clear favorite. The question is whether Shishkin gets a knockout, and also whether I would be a fool to deviate from your pick, uh, <laughs> just from a game theory perspective. Um, one thing I don't think is that is that he's going to get an early knockout. You know, he's fought 92 rounds in 13 fights. That's over seven rounds per fight. They almost always go at least five or six rounds, but then he is able to stop opponents late frequently, and. Maybe this is a bad uh, bad game theory move here, but I'm going to vary it up slightly from your pick. I'm going to predict that he does get the stoppage here. I'll go Shishkin to drop and stop Uskatagi in the eighth round.
0: Oh. All right. Um, the... If we have a different one in the open, I want to change my main event pick. Um, (laughs) The opening bout of the triple header takes us far down the scale to the bantamweight division. And these are the least familiar fighters on the card. Nikolai Potapov of Russia has fought twice on Showtime, on Showbox both times, while Vincent Astrolabio of the Philippines is making his Showtime debut. Potapov is 23-2-1 with 11 KOs. Astrolabio is 17-3 with 12 KOs. Eric, introduce the listeners to these fighters. Share some key facts and observations. What are their favorite? Sandwiches. What kind of
1: dogs do they like? Those kind of things, <laughs> and then make your pick. Uh, I don't have uh, in front of me favorite sandwiches and dogs, but I can. Shocking. I can just make it. Sa- well, you know what? We are in a post-fact world, so That's I'm just true. going to. I'm just going to say what their favorite sandwiches and go. dogs are. So Potapov uh, is a big fan of the Reuben. He likes uh, okay. the the corned beef with the sauerkraut uh-huh. and all that, uh, yep, that uh, and his, and his favorite dog uh, is a uh, Saint Bernard. Okay. And Vincent Astrolabio, meanwhile, uh, likes a good chicken salad sandwich, okay. and yeah. um, his favorite dog he's a Dachshund guy. Really, you don't see a lot of them. Yeah, actually, but yeah, there you go. There you the, and those are facts. The... That, that rings true to me. <laughs> I hope that the broadcasters uh, quote all these facts on on the telecast.
0: I do, too. I'll make sure to we'll we'll have to send this tomorrow. Make sure he's got this. (laughs) Right.
1: Um, Should I should I move along to some actual facts?
0: Oh, that is also a possibility. Yes. All
1: right. I'll do that. Um, First, uh, Potapov. some facts on him. Uh, He's ending an 18 month layoff, uh, the longest of his career. Not ideal. He's a big bantamweight. He's fought as high as 130 pounds. Uh, as you said, he's fought a couple of times on Showbox, uh, most notably a very good 10-round split decision win over Antonio Nieves. His two losses came against Joshua Greer and Omar Narvaez, who, uh, the latter of whom made his debut on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. Um, and he has John David Jackson in his corner as an assistant. Now the Astrolabio facts. He's the much younger man, 25 versus 32. He's also coming off a layoff, but not as long as putapovs He's been inactive 10 months He's promoted by some fella named Manny Pacquiao. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Um, For the most part, he's faced nobody of consequence, except in his last fight. He eked out a win over Guillermo Rigando, which, of course, doesn't mean what it used to. Um, He's the puncher in this one, but Potapov is the better boxer, more polished, much more experienced against good opposition, And Potapov is my pick, Uh, although, you know, if he's extremely rusty, anything can happen. But assuming he can look like the same Potapov we remember after, you know, a round or two of shaking off the rust, I like him to be a bit too clever for Astrolabio and to be able to take Astrolabio's punches. It's a 12 rounder. Uh, Could certainly see Potapov getting the late stoppage, but, you know, he, he just isn't much of a finisher. His last two fights were both eight-rounders that finished 80-72 to on all cards. I think this goes all 12. It's not necessarily another shutout, but it will be a unanimous decision win, I think, for Nikolai Potapov.
0: And for purposes both of game theory and of the fact that based on what little I know of both men, I think this is the most likely scenario. I am going to echo that. I just get the sense that Astrolabio has shipped some losses against some pretty ordinary opponents. Um, Potapov has looked better against more solid foes. I will say nothing more other than to go with you here. I also have picked Potapov by unanimous decision.
1: All right. And one other fight this week worth mentioning in the same division as Potapov and Astrolabio on Tuesday in Tokyo on ESPN+. Plus. Naoya, in a way, meets Paul Butler for all the bantamweight belts. Even though it's a unification bout, I opined when it was signed that Butler is something of a paper list and this figures to be an absolute blowout for In a way before he departs the division. Is that how you see it as well, Kieran? Or can Butler maybe push the monster?
0: Oh yeah, look, no offense to Butler. He, he's a really good solid uh prize fighter. But yeah, he's the definition of a paper list In fact, he's a two time paper list as he held another belt for a cup of coffee several years ago. Um he's been around and competing at high levels for a while now, but the two times when he Stepped up against genuinely world level opposition. Zolani Tete and Emmanuel Rodriguez, he lost. Uh, Tete knocked him out. Rodriguez outpointed him. And Rodriguez is good, right? He's the one who took Gary Antonio Russell's unbeaten record right. recently. But he also, two fights after beating Butler, was stopped in two rounds by Inouye. So Butler's a very good fighter who deserves a lot of respect, but Inouye should prove himself to be in an entirely different class here, I think. Yeah. Okily dokily. It is time for this week's top five challenge. Uh, Last week, in honor of the third bout between Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada, you tasked me with listing the five best third fights in multi-fight series, um, which, of course, by definition, had to be trilogies at least, but could have been four or more fight rivalries too. Um, I did not have a problem with coming up with quite a few to pick from, although I suspect I've forgotten a few and left out in particular a few from the 30s and 40s and 50s when these kind of rivalries were more frequent. Um I didn't really have that much of a problem picking four. The fifth I definitely struggled with. So the one I plumped for, I picked partly because I wanted to select something somewhat out of left field. Okay. Um and that fight took place on September 11th, 1991, Jeff Harding winning a majority decision over 12 against Dennis Andres. Um This was not exactly the glory days of the light heavyweight division. Um, The folks who held the alphabet belts weren't exactly Bob Foster or Michael Spinks. But Andries and Harding, despite their limitations, or perhaps because of them, engaged in three brutal encounters. The first was in June 1989. Harding, the young challenger, withstood enormous amounts of punishment before coming back and scoring a 12th round TKO. In the rematch in June 1990, Andrees regained his belt by a seventh round knockout. The rubber match was in London. It was probably the most brutal and grueling of all of them. It was the only one to go the distance, and it ended with the thinnest of wins for Harding. One judge scored it a 114-114 draw. The other two saw the Australian as the winner by scores of 115-13 and 115-114. Nobody outside of the UK and Australia will likely remember either man. They'll never make it anywhere near a Hall of Fame, except You know, perhaps they're the ones in their own countries or be recalled as great 175 pound champions. But for three fights, especially this third one, they
1: show toughness and resilience and the hearts of lions. Yeah, you did indeed uh, hit me with something out of left field there. I'm familiar with the names. Uh, I have never seen this fight. I I guess 1991, I was in high school. I was not watching uh, boxing on the regular yet. Uh, So I've never seen this. I guess I should probably look it up. But uh, needless to say, this did not make my list. But uh, good good, uh, pick out of left field there. All right. Okay. Now we're getting into more familiar territory on the rest of our list. Number four.
0: March 1st, 2008, Carson, California, A. Israel Vasquez winning a split decision over Rafael Marquez. And I had to include this one in honor of our man, Rafa, making yeah. it into the Hall of Fame. Um, this was, of course, a classic rivalry. Everyone except the fourth fight um, was was indeed a classic. Um like Harding Andres, this was the only one in the series that went the distance. It was named Fight of the Year by both Ring Magazine and the BWA. Ring named the fourth round in which Marquez dropped Vasquez, and Vasquez came back to hurt Marquez as round of the year. The big difference when it came to the decision was a point deduction for Marquez in round 10, and the referee calling a knockdown against Marquez in the 12th when he ruled that only the ropes were holding him up. Final scores were 114-111 Marquez and 114-111 and 113-112 Vasquez to give him the temporary lead in the series.
1: Yeah. Great pick. Uh, I actually had it up at number two, but I will say Mm -hmm. my two, three, and four are all basically interchangeable. There's not a lot separating them. Tremendous fight, the best of the series and uh, incredibly dramatic final round and a great correct call by the referee on the ropes holding him up that did ultimately make the difference. You can't ask for better drama than that down the stretch of a fight.
0: My number three, Uh, November 27th, 2004, Las Vegas, Marco Antonio Barrera winning a majority decision against Eric Morales. We all know about the first fight in this trilogy, um, that it was an an all-time great fight. Uh, The second one was more of a disappointment. Um, The third one contested at 130 pounds, if not as good as the first one, was much more in line of what we expected and demanded of these two. Barrera winning much of the first half through his strong boxing from mid-range. Morales coming back strong in 7-8. and Barrera kind of taking the lead again in 9-10. and And then the championship rounds were just all action, toe-to-toe, absolute slugfest. And as you would expect from these two, they continued the disagreement and the hatred even after the bell as they continued to jaw at each other. And when the, res- the result was announced, a majority decision win for Barrera, Barrera held up uh, two fingers yep. to show that he had won two of the three in Morales' face. It was fight of the year for 2004. It's the only one on this list for which I was ringside. Barrera over Morales is number three on my list.
1: It's also number three on my list. And I'm glad you pointed out that holding up two fingers. That was just so memorable and really explained why we never saw a fourth fight between these two. Because Barrera knew, I'm up 2-1. I'm not fighting again. I'm not not blowing any any chance that I come out ahead in this rivalry. Um, And this was... It was just such a great performance by Barrera at a point where he came in as the clear underdog people thought maybe post having lost to Manny Pacquiao that he uh, wasn't the same guy anymore. And this was just a a tremendous performance for him that it just if he was ever going to turn back the clock and up his game one more time, it was to fight Eric Morales. And he did that. And and this I thought this was the only fight of the three with with a pretty clear winner, in my view. Yep, indeed. Uh, Number two. October
0: 9th, 2021, Las Vegas, Nevada, Tyson Fury, KO11, Deontay Wilder. There isn't much to say about this one. It's going to be fresh in the memories of all our listeners, but the highlights. Fury dropped Wilder in round three. Wilder put down Fury twice in the fourth. And then Fury began to dominate, beating up Wilder, who remained brave and determined and always alive because of that powerful right hand of his before Fury put Wilder down again and stopped him in the 11th. And it was,
1: guess what? the fight of the year (laughs) yeah yeah and you probably could have guessed this was my number four I just flipped it with Vasquez and Marquez but these three can really come in any order it just depends what kind of thrills you're in the mood for but certainly this is uh, without a doubt a a top five all time third chapter
0: and number one of course Ruiz Holyfield three isn't it I was gonna say Muhammad Ali 110 ken norton no no it wasn't (laughs) october 1st 1975 manila muhammad ali tko 14 joe frazier and again what is there to say what else is there to say about this one that hasn't been said the thriller in manila the sweltering heat ali landing right hands frazier landing left hooks frazier's face swelling ali saying that he felt closer to death than he had ever done and finally eddie Futch pulling an almost blind frazier from the contest in the corner saying no one will ever forget what you did here today it was the end in the ring of a bitter rivalry but not the end of a feud of particular animus the best third fight in the best trilogy of all time
1: yeah really not a lot of room for debate here i mean this as i made when i made the assignment i figured you know number one is gonna be pretty much obvious i'll be curious what the rest of your list looks like um so I think everything that needs to be said about this fight has pretty much been said, other than we are now crowning it, officially, the greatest third fight ever. Exactly. Um, And
0: here's where I think I fell short with some of the honorable mentions. I'm sure there are lots I've forgotten here. Uh, Riddick Boavanda Holyfield, I put. uh, I did put Manny Pacquiao, Juan Manuel Marquez, which, in isolation, was actually a pretty good fight. Um, Floyd Patterson, Lingamara Johansson, Mm -hmm. Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward. Sugar Ray Robinson, Gene Fulmer. I'm sure there are a lot more. I looked at, for example, the Pep Sadler series and Pep Sadler 3 was just a nasty foul fest. Right. Um, I was thinking there had to be some more from like the 50s and 40s that I was missing. I don't know if you found any of that or thought of any of that just slipped my mind here.
1: I have a couple more that were named fight of the year uh, that so uh, for for what it's worth, I put Patterson Johansson as my number five, okay. uh, followed very closely by Gaddy Ward three, which, you know, I thought about putting that at five, but I wasn't sure if maybe that would have been a biased pick or whatever. Sure. But that was also a fight of the year. Um, So I didn't. Like Holyfield Bow was a very good third fight, but clearly the least good fight of their series, right. so it didn't quite crack my consideration. Um there are there are two others that I came across that again, this is this is kind of amazing. I was just looking down the Ring magazine fight of the year uh list for every year, and every single fight of the year in the nineteen fifties was part of a series. Some were chapter one, mm. but they all had a one, a two, or a three next to the name wow. of the fight. Um, so so these are just a, a couple more. Actually, one of these might have been from the 40s. One from the 50s was uh, uh, Jersey Joe Walcott, Ezra Charles three was named mm. fight of the year. And then this might have been the 40s, uh, Bob Montgomery and Bo Jack's third fight was also named mm. uh, fight of the year. So I threw those in the honorable mention, not really having specific recollections of of what the details of those fights were. But uh, Patterson-Johansson, I I felt pretty good about as a a fifth choice. That's widely considered the best fight of their trilogy.
0: Yeah. Oh, there you go. Vast range of disagreement,
1: as usual. (laughs) 100 years of boxing to pick from. Right. If I'd had Harding-Andre's three as my fifth pick, there, there would have been something deeply wrong, I suppose.
0: Well, indeed. All right. That will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We'll be back next week with our post-fight thoughts on Rivera Martin, another round of the fight game, and more. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.